30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a ritual. Once upon a time in Vienna, there was a fellow by the name of Sigmund Freud. Now, Siggy was a doctor who was exploring the then very novel art of hypnosis. And by most contemporary accounts, he wasn't particularly good at it. But Freud was determined to plumb the mind's depths, and so he switched gears and started focusing on dream interpretation instead. Now, while Freud can be a controversial figure in some circles, there's absolutely no denying the impact that he had on the field of psychology. It's just, (laughs) you cannot deny it. But while I think dream interpretation can be valuable, there's something missing there that we can rediscover when we go in the other direction. Instead of taking a dream, this swirling, confusing mix of symbols and experience and images, and trying to boil it down into meaning, what if we take meaning, the feelings we have about the world our experiences, the challenges we're going through, and we turn them into dreams. We transform them back into images with all of the confusing multiplicity of meanings that an image can hold. This is a very important part of wisnotherapy as I've come to practice it. Working with clients and now listeners like you to simply imagine how we might experience something in a different way. The word sad is a word, but the feeling sad is an abstraction and we can find different angles to approach it. What does sad feel like in your body? If sad was a color, what would it be? If sad was an animal, what would it look like? By taking feelings and abstractions and turning them back into images, we create a loop where we can draw more and more meaning instead of just getting fixed in singular interpretations. In today's episode of Talk to the Wizard, we're going to hear from Taylor, a poet and musician living in eastern Washington who's been going through some life changes recently in regard to substance use, mental health, grieving, and creative output. I think these are themes that all of us can resonate with in at least some regard, and I hope that as we get into Taylor's experience and the beautiful dreamlike imagery that comes out of it, you'll find your own interpretation that resonates with you. So, let's hear what Taylor has to say when he talks to the wizard. Hello, Taylor. Hello. Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you for having me. How are you feeling? I'm good. It's been a, a pleasant morning. Got my um, morning meditation in, did a little tarot work. I'm kind of learning. I got this very cool uh, Cats of Tarot deck. 
Ooh. And uh, I also have cats who are here. <laughs> I, I see one of them right now. Uh, she needed to be in my morning meditation. Um, so I'm working on balancing the maintaining of the meditative state while having a very anxious cat who has a lot of needs, emotional yeah. needs. So you gotta, and I have a cats of tarot deck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I gotta, I gotta live the part. You right. Know, I can't just neglect it. Otherwise the tarot cards will never work for me. So. Yeah, I think she's a test. <laughs> I think I think that's a great way to phrase it, and also just the idea that you know we need the perfect, most quiet, isolated space to meditate, as opposed to the idea that we're supposed to meditate and think about the things that need us and draw us back into the world. So, well, and I think there's also um, when you when you learn about meditation, it's like this like you're detached from the world, but like the the goal is to live better and more attached in the world. So, you know, I was trying to, you know, maintain my wave state while also being there for someone or something that needs me, I think is a more valuable skill than ignoring, Mm -hmm. even though she's very needy. (laughs) (laughs) I lived with roommates when I started my, my more serious meditation practice. And my rule from the beginning was I'm never allowed to storm out of my meditation room and go, will you be quiet? I'm trying to meditate. (laughs) That's a good. (laughs) I was like, if I have that urge, meditate on that. (laughs) Stay with that feeling. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know that you've been going through some challenges lately. You want to tell us the story? Um, so yeah, I uh, have lived my whole life with a variety of, I guess, mental differences that have kind of come to a head, and these kind of came to the head in this like very rapid period um starting last September uh where I lost my oldest friend brother um we we grew up um our families were very close um my closest brother is 10 years younger than me so okay in terms of what a a traditional brother is in terms of someone who has these shared growing experiences you know he, he was very very similar in that way yeah um and he taught me about the idea of like brotherhood and like the more i guess esoteric sense mm. the more fraternal like cho- chosen sense. Yeah. And also at the same time, within weeks, my, my grandfather died. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the only grandfather I ever know because I've ever known because my other grandfather died when I was very young. So there was this kind of double bind uh, where both the the past and future have kind of dissolved. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's definitely, like, part of the individuation process. Uh, but you you don't, you know that you're going to die, you know, your whole life for the most part. But when you, like, actually learn that lesson, it's very, it's very different in your, your mind shifts. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I think my initial urge was... Uh, one that fought that very much, um, you know, kind of being a musician, an artist, whatever. Drinking is part of the culture. Being from mm-hmm. Wisconsin, drinking is part of the culture. 
um, in a way you don't understand until you move across the country. So I'm from Wisconsin. I live in Washington now. That might be relevant in in the story as we go. So first reaction was I was, uh, you know, I was just drinking a lot, and I was just kind of. Um, before uh, we get into that, just, yeah. um, can I can mm-hmm. I ask how did your how did your friend die? It was a seizure, um, okay. and I think we'll. We well, we might get more into that later because he'd he'd had a seizure disorder that was kind of mysterious, kind of throughout throughout his life. I think I remember the first one happening in middle school. Yeah, and part of me thinks he knew it was coming in a certain way, but never really told anyone. And one of those um, retroactive aha, mm-hmm. certain patterns of behavior made sense in a way that were totally elusive until that point, you know? And yeah. it's like, oh, actually maybe you're, you were acting totally rationally the whole time and I just was missing a piece of information. Because I know with some seizure situations, like you'll kind of feel it coming on. And like mm-hmm. we talked, we talked the day before. Yeah. So it was like this bizarre experience because uh, I went to go see Corn and P.O.D. and Evanescence just again on this like theme of childhood. Yeah. Like revisiting these like favorite bands of like my youth. And I, I I get the call from my dad that he had passed like during PODs like alive. Oh geez. Which was <laughs> just a lot. <laughs> just yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. just a lot. Um so yeah, that's that's how he passed. I guess I don't have the sure. So the he, he had a seizure, and from the seizure, there was some sort of stroke or brain aneurysm, yeah. and so yeah, it was a thing that had been a possibility. But also, yeah. it's it's kind of it's a it's different when you lose a grandparent, where it's like ah uh, yes, nature versus yeah. I think when there's someone who is close in age, it it really bumps that oh I am mortal too. Um, yeah, thing, thing up a notch. And with my grandpa George, like. He'd had three heart attacks. We'd had like the conversation like about him being okay with his mortality, about his being okay with his passing years ago, like ten plus years ago. Yeah. Um, when I was when I was very young, he's like, you know, I've lived a, a good life, and when I go, I go. Yeah. But so I, I'd already made my peace with that, mm-hmm. and I think maybe to some frustration of like my family, I was like, you know. He'd also, you know, lost a lot of his mental faculties. He would definitely mm-hmm. wasn't like, you know, as, you know, three heart attacks and strokes will... It's not good for the head, I hear. Yeah. Uh, it's not good for the heart. It's not good for the head. Not recommended. Well, and I think we can just say that there are different kinds of death. You know, American yeah. culture is very death averse. And even if someone's not in a good state, we kind of cling to this idea that life is so precious. <laughs> Although we, we, we don't treat it like that in a lot of other situations. But in certain situations, Within we're suddenly, our borders. <laughs> yeah. Then we're like, now it's precious and we got to do whatever we can to keep this body's heart yeah. pumping as that's yes. the only thing that we're kind of, you know, is there a pulse? But I think aside from that, there's the idea of what is a good death? What is, you know, you can be prepared for someone leaving and feel like you have closure versus someone can be brutally ripped out of your existence with mm-hmm. no warning. And those are very different experiences. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, you know, like the good death is a lot of, you know, what various practices are about. Um, yeah. Living to die correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, it was just such a weird experience. How did you feel like, how did you feel like your friend was... Um, 
aware of this? Was What were the kind of patterns that made sense after? There was just always this clinging to the past. Mm. Um, we He would talk like about high school a lot. Mm. And like, I was like, why is this such a... And like almost to my frustration, like there was a couple instances where I was kind of harsh on him. Yeah. Because I was like, bro, we're almost 30. Like we got to we gotta move on from these things. Like he was one of the smartest people I ever met. Mm-hmm. Just this brilliant, brilliant mind. So it was this like refusal to move forward. But if you don't, if you know there is no forward. Right. You know, why not just enjoy everything? Why? I mean, I don't know. I feel like if I was terminal, I would probably still be working constantly because, you know, that's what I enjoy. Um, And I I like, I like that. Uh, But I also see that like, hey, just like enjoy your life, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, hold on, be close to those uh, who have been important to you and um, be grateful. And like, you know, even like there was this clinging as I said, I'm, I live in Washington now. Mm. Um, so when I go to visit home, you know, he'd always be like the last person to leave. And mm. at his kind of um, post, uh, the Eric's dead party we have when <laughs> our friends yeah. pass away. And it's like, what do we do? So you meet up with like all the old high yeah. school people you haven't seen because that's who he'd still been in contact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were always like, yeah, he was always the last person to leave. Yeah. So like those those things that you're like in the moment it's like I'm tired like <laughs> I gotta go <laughs> party's over dude <laughs> yeah. I love you uh, but I want to go to bed um, but he was living to have those yeah I only those, get so much of this yeah right. and I guess in a way that maybe we take for granted yeah and he was wise enough to not take for granted yeah I think there's definitely something kind of profound there. Um, but let's let's get back to uh, what happened to you in the aftermath. Um, so you know, like as I said, I was always a drinker. Like it, it happened gradually, but also not gradually. I didn't I didn't drink or do anything until I was like eighteen, and then mm. I joined a fraternity, which I also have plenty of thoughts on. But uh, <laughs> good and bad, I think yeah, it's yeah. A, another kind of brotherhood. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, and it taught me a lot about. And it was important to learn. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just like that culture in Wisconsin, like, and then pivoting from, you know, that kind of culture to the music culture, which is another kind of fraternity, another kind of brotherhood that also is built around whatever is in your cup for yeah. a lot of folks until you realize it's going to kill you. And if you want to keep playing loud guitars, you got to quit drinking. Yeah which is eventually where I got to. But I was just, the drinking was becoming like a constant numbing, a constant way to escape stresses I didn't understand, yeah, escape anxieties that were new, mm-hmm. escape just like a baseline existential pain. And in a weird way, it never really, that period, I guess, was the head, but it never like, nothing ever happened that was like, catastrophic i just Mm -hmm. kind of got sick of all of it i got sick of this you know lifestyle i got sick of this power that it had over me because you're just like you're building your life around something you don't even want to do anymore but feel like you have to do obligated yeah 
Yeah, like you're just, I don't know. I was like, I, oh, I don't want to drink this week, but I got practice Tuesday, mm-hmm. Thursday. I got a show Saturday. I'm meeting up with my poetry group. Yeah. Uh, and all of these involve alcohol. Right. So all of my attempts to like soft quit mm-hmm. or like control it were um, like, either this is gone. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no controlling this. Like I've attempted to control this. I'm otherwise a disciplined person and good at controlling things. That sounds manipulative, uh, but like just good at being in control of myself. Sure. You know, I practice like a lot of yoga. I learned how to play guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have control over this. Right. And I think that's a really good point that you're bringing up because there's a couple of things here. One is we often view ourselves as individuals. That is the contemporary viewpoint of I'm this little single cell <laughs> thing and I'm making yeah. my choices. But no, we're we're aspects of a social reality. And I think people, you know, I'll, I'll just say myself, I experience this a lot in moves. In times yeah. when I moved, oh, I'm kind of tired of this habit that's held in place by the friends I have. Mm-hmm. It's not like everyone's forcing a bong into my hand, yeah. but that's the <laughs> yeah. activity. And then when I move and I introduce myself as someone who like doesn't smoke pot anymore, everyone's like, oh, okay. And then I make yeah. friends where that's not the activity. Yeah. But when you're still in that social world, it's hard because you feel the void if you're like, oh, I'm here and I'm like consciously Mm. not drinking, which is like everybody else's. And then I feel like weird about it. And I think with what you were saying about moving through your 20s into your 30s, there's also this thing where with American drinking culture, and at least my experience, unless you're clearly the outlier who has the most intense drinking problem, there's somebody (laughs) else that you know who is a bigger alcoholic than you. So everyone can kind of go, well, I'm not that bad because look at Johnny. (laughs) He's got his fifth DUI. Like, he's the problem. Mm -hmm. Therefore, my drinking is just partying and having fun and doing Mm -hmm. the normal things. But as you get older, there's a weird thing where you suddenly realize which people are like, Oh, I was in grad school the whole time. I'm going to just like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chill now. Like I've, I've got a job and other people that are like, oh no, like I'm, hey, you want to meet me for a drink? It's like, dude, it's 10 a.m. No. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't. It's a, it's a commitment. And like, you know, a lot of my closest friends are committed to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you just like, okay, whatever. I mean, yeah. once you've like made the choice for yourself, it's uh, it's making the choice. Like, you know. Whatever, you've made your choice. Uh, we can still communicate and uh, work through that. But I... A little bit like what was, we talked about with the meditation of, yeah. you know, hey, <laughs> I'm making this choice. I'm doing this different thing. But I also am not going to go to the bar and stand on a bar stool and be like, I got sober last week, so you're all bad now. What are you doing? Change your yeah. life. But just being like, okay, this is... I need to reflect on what's yeah. right for me now. And it's, it's hard because there's, I mean... Jung talks about that, like when you've uncovered a piece of knowledge, like, and it's helped you, it's really hard not to either want to help yourself or elevate yourself or play all of these like hierarchical games, Mm -hmm. these ego games, because your ego has, you know, shifted to a certain degree. I no longer identify with the person who drank, you know, right? Um, because I I did have to like shift my mind, just like, I don't, I don't do that anymore um and then how did you, you know, how did you move through that shift uh january last year i remember i was out i got dinner with my partner and i had two miller lights they were f- as fine of pilsners as ever that was it yeah i just 
I was just done. I was yeah. like, I, I went into it thinking like, I'll just, you know, I just need time from this. And yeah. it was the time kept getting longer and the desire to do it. You know, there was times where it was like, I'd be struggling mentally. I, we went to go see Sisters of Mercy and like, I've, I've had these like weird kind of like anxiety things mm-hmm. and I was incredibly uncomfortable and I just wanted a drink. Yeah. Um, but you know, I just didn't. Yeah. So there's definitely been like temptations uh, on like our first tour after my first like sober tour with my band. Um, I go into this green room one day and I was like, oh, cool, a cooler. I open it up on top as if it was like placed there for me is a 24 ounce mango white claw. Yeah. And those were my jam. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I don't want to get drunk, but I want to drink that. Yeah. You know, because like I miss. You miss it. It was tasty. It was a yeah. good goddamn beverage. But, you know, I was like, ah, whatever. And then, you know, mango white claws have appeared as temptations again. The devil will come wearing a mango white claw. <laughs> <laughs> there was just like a downed six pack in my like usual gym locker one day. Mm. I just like opened up my gym locker. as not my gym locker, but yeah. yeah. We're attached to numbers for whatever reason. I opened sure. it up. There was just this empty six pack of mango white claws. I was like, "Not today, yeah, not today." <laughs> well, and I think what you, the way that you described this, you know, you had two beers and then it just was kind of done. I think addiction and habit change is very mysterious because there's sometimes where it occurs unconsciously and then you're just kind of like, oh, cool. I just woke up one day and I was like, I should go to the gym more. And then suddenly you did and it became Mm -hmm. a habit and you're just like, wow. And then that's really frustrating when it's trying to get a habit back or a Mm -hmm. different thing or it worked for somebody else and you're struggling. And I think that's where there's times where the unconscious is holding on to a pattern and consciously we're like, I really want to quit. But that unconscious is going, oh, wait, no mango white claw. We need to. (laughs) And it takes you in a different direction. But I'm glad to hear that it sounds like um, you experienced the easier, funner version where the unconscious (laughs) kind of took the first step for you. Well, I think that's part of, you know, the process of engaging the unconscious. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's an unwieldy force that, no one understands and no one will ever understand, I think. Yeah. You know, it's like you just, you learn to work with it and you you have to develop a relationship to yeah. it, you know, which I had done a lot of legwork even before, sure. you know, like that coming to a head mm-hmm. really happened. So with... um this passing of your your friend and this move into sobriety, um, what is the challenge that's come up for you that you would you would like some wizardly assistance with today? So I have always um, altered states and like creativity have always kind of, you know, gone ahead at hand. In many ways, meditation is kind of like a, a holistic natural drug. Yeah. But uh, with my bipolar and not drinking... So let's talk about the bipolar for a moment. Yeah, where yeah, this, yeah. I think where did this come in? Oh, yeah. So while all of this um, death stuff is happening, I'm like under, I, I go in to finally like get tested for ADD. And my psychiatrist guy is like, hey, yeah, you probably have ADD, but you're probably bipolar. And I was like, okay, uh, not expecting that. I'll do some research. I do the research. I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit like that. 
so that also, you know, bipolar increases, you know, your moods. It, deal, it has like depressive elements to it. So when you're drinking, it kind of just exacerbates or mm. every element of, of that disorder. I'm only bipolar too, um, which is, I think, the more fun version. Oh, yeah. Uh, because Hypomania's. hypomania, <laughs> hypomania rules. Kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Th- things I don't try to tell my psychiatrist, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. honestly, kind of fun. So um, for for listeners, because I think these terms and labels get thrown around, it's it's helpful for us to kind of clarify a little bit. Yeah. So we can think about almost like a sine wave. You know, it goes up, it goes down, and. In general, people's moods change, you know? Mm -hmm. How many of us have had a Monday where we're like, oh, geez, I'm at work, everything sucks, I feel so down. And then we have a Friday where we're like, I'm with friends, my life is awesome, I'm so happy. And it's like, okay, that's only a few days between. But when we think about that sine wave, I'll use a kind of music analogy. Mm -hmm. If you think about an audio signal, you don't want a red line. You don't want to get into that zone where it's too intense or the signal's cutting out completely and dropping off. And so there's a difference between, okay, I'm having kind of just like a frustrating bummer day because my car broke down and like my girlfriend and I are fighting versus I can't get out of bed and I'm struggling really hard with depression. Similarly, there's a difference between, oh, I'm in a fun mood. Let's go talk to some strangers. <laughs> like, let's party. Like, let's have a good time. And like, I'm going to go steal that car because <laughs> that cat told me to. And when we're talking about differences, and I think the bipolar that mm-hmm. you're experiencing, it's not those most yes. extremes of, you know, I'm going to steal your money and drive to Mexico and yeah. then lock myself in a hotel room and be depressed and not move. It's, uh, I'm feeling really bad about myself or I'm feeling pretty good about myself, but a little bit more peaky. Yeah, it's like, it is, I mean, it's it's hard, especially like we were kind of like making, you know, hypomania is, you honestly, like you feel like you are at your best and your most powerful and everything makes sense. It's kind of like a really good day. Yeah, but it's like this sustained thing and I like have these conversations with my partner and she'd be like you said like three years ago i don't have good examples but like i would just say like crazy outlandish things like i'm gonna i'm not resting until i change the world Mm -hmm. where like baseline taylor's like i would like to improve the lives of those around me so it's like this truth that gets hyperboled into this like fantastical thing um Where depression, is, I was thinking about it last night because it's, they're not false states totally. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're hard on yourself, you're hard on yourself for like real things. That's why it's yeah. like, that's why it's brutal because it's like you're being truthful. It's just not the whole yeah. truth. And I think that especially in those darker states, there's a feeling of abstract certainty that comes with it where it doesn't yeah. feel like, man, I'm just being a jerk to myself for no reason. It's like, uh, I've finally pulled back the veil and this mm-hmm. is really what's going on. And it's yeah. like inescapably true until you get out of it. And then you go, that's not oh. true. <laughs> that's stupid. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very much an oscillation between the dark, overly objective and like, the supreme subjective. Yeah. But like all of this was like happening and I just, I don't know. I just didn't know. (laughs) You know, you just, you don't, until you have like a word for it, you're just like, especially when it's like your 
experience. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't have, I don't know, you don't know because you're not doing, especially when you're not doing like the crazy things and I'm putting square quotes on for listeners. Um, you're just like, oh, Taylor's kind of agitated and full of himself right now. Yeah. Or Taylor has played video games for yeah. seven days straight and did nothing but smoke weed and play video games. Maybe made dinner. Yeah. Because you got to make dinner. Um, so, yeah. And well, I'll, I'll say one thing, because again, taking this out of the individual and reflecting society, you know, right now, I think on one hand, we live, um, if anyone's on social media, you're inundated with memes that <laughs> can be very funny, but are often yeah. kind of normalizing and reflecting. Yeah, we're staying inside and playing video games for seven days straight. Yeah, we're not, you know. Yeah, that's like a, like like when I was in New York, like Grubhub's entire advertising was like, you just want to roll yourself up in a blanket and order like bad takeout. Like do it. And I'm like, oh, that's the, that's like that's pretty the devil. <laughs> like, that's, that's the devil. <laughs> it's kind of weird that you're advertising based around that. But then I think the flip is this idea that we're supposed to sort of be in this hypomanic state all the time. Yeah. That's the other commercial where like a Bud Light pool party and you're just Have like it your way. You're just having the best time and like you're making, you know, like think about a music documentary or um, (laughs) a biopic, you know, like where you're just constantly cranking out hits and you're going, this is it. And when everyone tells you no, you believe in yourself. So Mm -hmm. our culture is a little bit bipolar in this ways where we're kind of, I think, exhausted by this one pressure to be hypomanic and then sort of indulgent in that dark shadowy, you know. I'm just going to isolate and stare at a variety of screens. That's a that's an astute observation. I I don't think anyone would be surprised. Like, if you could map like the collective conscious of America, it yeah. is <laughs> what is more mentally ill than that. Yeah. I, I think there's a big uh, there's a reason, kind of like in the in the inverse of what you're talking about, like that trickles into the individual, right. Like they can't not. You're constantly bombarded by this. Right. We're plugged into that. Oh, a hundred percent. We're as receiving much as we messaging want to, around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's scary, scary stuff. Yeah. So with your um coming back to the thread of your own experience. So um the diagnosis, you know, I just want to say this for listeners. Yeah. I'm not anti-diagnosis, but I think we don't want to just stop at and that's just mm-hmm. the thing and yeah. so we can think about them as containers right in one way when you have a bunch of disparate things and someone says here's a box called bipolar yeah. <laughs> your things fit in this you go wow that's helpful to see them all in that place mm-hmm. whereas that container can also become a trap yeah but easily just being aware of that because i think these days there's a tendency to be like let me collect diagnoses and i'll put them into my social media bios yeah it's i mean we live in such a weird world with i mean i'm on tiktok a lot and it's weird how normal i mean it's not abnormal either it's just this weird performative thing that Mm. like Comes like a character class in D anD D. Like yeah. I'm a, a halfling rogue <laughs> with borderline personality disorder. That's a good trait for a rogue, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm whoever you want me to be for real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the gold. I'm gonna steal your um, stuff though. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. It's um. 
I I mean, I think it's empowered, empowering to name things mm-hmm. um, because when you have the name for the thing, kind of like even touching on you know the yeah. occult, uh, n- naming something is powerful. Um, you know, it, it gives you a framework to work with. It gives you an equal power. Like as I was saying, like my bipolar was running my life. It was a script mm-hmm. that I was unaware of until I had a name for. Yeah. Um, but the name is just a placeholder. It's not the thing itself. Mm-hmm. So with these sequence of events um, and, you know, learning this, this new information and going through these changes, um, not quite naming, but I wonder if you could describe the, the challenge that you feel like you're currently facing. Yes, we keep trying. Every time we get there, it's a, a, a thousand okay. plateaus. No, no, we're doing. We're getting there. Yeah. It's just funny. Um, so this creative thread throughout my life has also been my creativity has been tied up both with drinking mm-hmm. and with bipolar, right? Mm-hmm. And now that neither one of those, uh, I mean, my psychiatrist, I just met with him Monday. Yeah. I have bipolar and remission, so like I'm chill right now. These toxic modes of creation uh, in the way sex with a toxic partner can be wild and fun, uh, but totally destructive. Yeah. Um, and then that halfling rogue steals your car. Yeah. And you're just like, and then oh, damn it. you don't got a car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, once those have gone, it's this like romantic part of my creative process has also gone. This, mm-hmm. this fantasy of creation has gone. Yeah. And it has made me less creative. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say less creative. My impulse to create has lessened mm. because I was creating out of these either these hypomanic states or these depressive states that were constantly being triggered by uh problem drinking. Yeah. So now that I've evened out, it kind of I have an, I have another poet friend who's kind of gone through something similar. It's like in a lot of ways, I was creating to cope and to understand mm-hmm. these things that I am no longer coping and no longer needing to understand. So from what well do I create? Yeah. Um, I have been creating out of, you know, this experience. Like uh, our next record is very written about, and a lot of my poetry over the last year has very, been very written about Eric's passing, the passing of my grandfather in both like memorial ways, but also in coping and understanding ways. Because I do mm-hmm. think the, the creative energy is there to help us understand. And I don't, maybe cope has kind of like uh, some ick to it in current parlance, especially like on online right. uh, situations. So maybe for want of a better word, cope. Yeah, I think cope's a pretty good word. So like how do we, how do I, you know, kind of, develop a, a healthier relationship with this like creative energy and also yeah. how do i be okay with you know maybe not doing away with it altogether but like this it is something different now and it is yeah. not going to be the the relationship i had and i cannot go back to that relationship mm-hmm. um even with all of this gone i have this desire to create this i guess what we would call a magnum opus in certain circles I know I'm supposed to make this thing, mm-hmm. um, but that's also like been very wound up in my identity formation. That's also mm-hmm. a very 
ego desire sure. on one level, but it's also in a Jungian sense coming from the unconscious. It's not just something that like I put in my head. There's a reason I want to make that, but I've also built my identity as such around that desire. Do you have a sense of what this is? Or it's just a big placeholder for something? Well, I guess the yes and no. Um, I am okay with it. I'm okay with me not knowing what it is. Mm -hmm. I have attempted it through, I've written several books of poetry um, that live on hard drives because I hate the publication process. Um, I've been putting out albums. I mean, I've been a musician and writing music since I was a kid, but I also do photo video work. Part of my intuition is that it's going to be a culmination of skills I have and I'm still acquiring. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I And I don't think I'll be making it for some time because the wizarding game is a long game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well said. So there's a few things that I want to comment on and then I think we'll kind of get into an exploratory mode. But I think memory is always shifting. And so when we wake up with a cut on our head and vomit next to us and <laughs> no memory of where we went after we said, let's go to another party. You know, <laughs> there's a feeling of shame and guilt and regret mm -hmm. that can be very motivating of like, whoa, I got to change my drinking or, you know, and that stays yeah. present. But it also fades over time and people often find themselves romanticizing and nostalgic for going to parties, which of course, it's always when you're looking backward, tied in with when you were younger. Mm -hmm. Um, using alcohol to be social, missing that feeling of letting loose, feeling very like restricted by sobriety. And I think in your case, it sounds similar to that, but with creativity of there was a flow here, there was a passion. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not tapping into that in quite the same way, as well as a sort of long-standing inner knowing that you're here to make things and you want to keep that process going. Yes. So two things that I think I would like to go in the direction of. First is with this idea of a magnum opus. I want to know what comes up for you when we think about the idea of switching from product to process. So the magnum opus is not a thing that you are making. You just happen to be a consciousness situated on a deep vein of creative <laughs> materials. And it's your duty to go down there and dig them up. And we're going to find all kinds of things in that. And it's not your job to go, ah, I've un unearthed the one giant gold nugget, that's it. But rather to just keep pulling up stuff and, and, and see what's down there. Yeah, I think um, I'm keyed in to process. And like part of it is, you know, maybe just like moving into that phase of adulthood from play to discipline. Mm. Um, there was this intuition of like what I would know to work on though, where mm -hmm. now it's like I don't, okay, I'm feeling this desperation. I have this lo-fi project I'm singing on. I'm going to get the demons out over there. Yeah. Versus, you know, when I was working through my MFA, I, I was writing every day. Yeah. And, you know, that process, I, I have this kind of uh, slogan I tell myself, it's the, it's the work that's important. Mm -hmm. But it's right now the work feels like a job. Yeah. I recognize that it is a process. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just been hard. I've been calling in. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I think what you said a moment ago, I, I understand the value of discipline, but when we're trying to be disciplined, we're trying to bring a rigidity and a doing yeah. to something as opposed to play, which is more being and exploring. Not that one's good, one's bad, but yeah, that yeah. It, it seems like I wonder if in the absence of that alcohol providing that play element, there's an overcompensation of, well, now it's time to get serious because I don't feel as silly but then that yeah. silliness is missing from the process. So um, I think serious problems require silly solutions. So uh, <laughs> let's let's play around with that. How does that sound? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So um, take a moment, get settled in, and close your eyes. And then I want you to think about whatever landscape resonates with you the most. This could be a forest or a beach or a desert or a snow-capped peak. Whatever comes to mind. There's no need to rush it. There's certainly no right answer here. But just let me know when you feel like you've kind of got a sense of, of which landscape you resonate with. Tundra. Tundra. Okay. Oh, yeah. And so how do you experience the tundra when you... Just imagine the tundra. What do you notice? It is this um, endless white, but also has a lot of definition to it. Okay. Um, the sky is kind of a pinkish purple. Yeah. Um, the snow, it, it glistens in that way where if you pay attention... All of it is shining. Mm. Um, every every snowflake is is there if you can look with the right amount of focus and unfocus. Right. Um, there's mountains. There's a sort of aurora, but it's not quite like the greens we're used to. It's more. Like I was saying, pinkish and purple. Or, um, I feel like there should be stars, but I don't see them. That's okay. We're going with what's there, not what should be there. What about your other senses? Do you hear anything, or can you feel the chill in the air? Yeah, the uh, it's it's the kind of cold that is um, isolating but insulating. Mm, okay. Um, it, it kind of like wraps wraps you. Yeah. Um, there's, I feel like, obligatory snow winds. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of howling. That whistling. Whistling. Yeah, that kind of... Um, uh, it's everything... Uh, I'm thinking of David Berman... Um, he has a poem where every he says everything sounds louder in like the quiet in the new acoustics of snow. He says, mm, "Yeah, the sound itself is operates kind of differently. It, it reflects differently. It's open. Yeah, um, sound carries. There's nothing to reverberate off of." Um, it's just kind of pure, 
pure sound. Yeah. So take a moment to just breathe. You might hear your breath and see the condensation it creates in the air, this white landscape all around you, the chill of the wind, but the warmth of the clothes that you're wearing that's keeping that cold at bay because you're an adventurer and you came here knowing what this landscape was. And as you look at the sky above and the mountains in the distance, you can turn around and find that grave site that you might not have noticed before. It's clearly been somewhat freshly dug and you know that this is where you've laid your traveling companion, your friend and fellow adventurer to rest and resurrected a monument as best as you could. And as you just take a moment before setting forth to mourn, to say internal words of gratitude for all of the adventures you shared with this companion, you also know in your heart that you're waiting for a sign, a signal, for what direction to go in next. Maybe it'll be an animal or a inner knowing or something else, but you can just wait and let us know when you receive that signal that tells you which direction to set forth in. Well, I've built a snowman for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I need to find the accoutrement appropriate to a snowman. A snowman needs eyes. I guess a sort of reverse mummification process. Yeah. Um, where we give objects instead of take objects or organs. Yeah. Um, I think we need to find the eyes. Okay. So explore. Look around and see what you notice. What might be beneath the grass or permafrost. Root around and see what you find. There is a a tree, mm. a, a barren tree. One would ask how something resembling a maple tree would be here. Oh, by magic, of course. <laughs> um, but it no longer has its leaves, and it's it's tall, and. I think in the branches there is a nest. And in that nest there must be eggs of some sort. Mm. So I walk to the tree. And it's, it's frost-ridden. It's kind of shimmering in the way I was talking about with the snow. One might try to knock the tree and loosen the eggs Mm -hmm. to try and catch them. Okay. So 
I think I try that. Yeah. And the tree is too solid to move. Mm. So we wait for an owl to appear. Mm. They must be an owl's eggs. It would be a great white snow owl. How do we conjure owls? Well, I think especially if you're asking the owl for its eggs, which are pretty important to it, yeah. I would I would suggest making an offering of some kind. What do you have to offer? I feel like the only thing I have is eyes. Your own? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's what I have on me okay. that feels like it adheres to the symbolic logic at play. Perfect. I think offer those up. <sighs> okay. Um, great owl. I offer you my eyes in exchange for your eggs. Now, what do you hear? It's becoming louder, but the sound, there's no sound that's becoming louder. The silence uh, is becoming louder? I guess maybe like the ambience of the place itself mm. is more ambient. Yeah. There's maybe not more or louder wind, but more present wind. Yeah. Um, the snow itself is falling and is not making noise, but is heard. Mm -hmm. And I think now I see the owl atop the tree. It is giant, I yeah. guess. Almost angelic mm. but not in its in its wings mm -hmm. but not necessarily like overly there's just a, a a presence about it and it also i guess shines the way everything here shines how do you offer up your eyes oh well, dude i'm offering you my eyes but <laughs> I I point to them and ask again. Then I start trying to pluck them out and the owl needs to pluck them out if the owl wants them. Okay. What does it mean? to let go of the vision you used to have and to release it? Mm. I think death and release are an important aspect of seeing something new. And that requires giving up what you used to see. Mm -hmm. 
I think um I think of Tiresias and how his vision grew exponentially without sight. And so I invite you to release your old vision, the way that you saw yourself, the way that you saw the world, and the way you envisioned creating this magnum opus. Will you release it? Yes. And then I think the owl will take it. That's not going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) But it'll be necessary. Yeah. I think you've had plenty of experiences of pain and difficulty in this process so far. So I think those eyes are much looser than you might have realized. And the owl can take them easily, delicately. And you can feel two beautiful, round, hefty eggs in your hands as the world becomes dim. Not completely dark, but certainly not the way you saw it before. And I invite you to take a moment to explore your senses your awareness of space, knowing where the tree is and knowing where the snowman is, just in your mind, hearing those sounds and noticing whatever feels different in your body, whatever new things you're noticing now. The eggs are heavy and light at the same time. And I also am more keyed into my sense of smell. Mm-hmm. The pureness of snow, the the clarity of fresh snow. Mm-hmm. It is. It's cold, but it's also shimmering yeah. it's also whole you might mistake it for an empty thing like yeah. water um and i can smell a sweet scent coming from behind me where the snowman was mm. so without my eyes i start walking back What do you find? The snowman has grown arms. It has grown its own eyes. It smiles. I feel benevolence from it. It's a it's a greeting of some sort. Yeah. So you are willing to sacrifice your vision. And in turn, you receive these eggs. And now the snowman has its own eyes, so you get to hold on to these eggs. Is that right? I feel like I shouldn't. Why? Because I got them (laughs) for him. (laughs) 
Yeah. But now you realize that he has eyes already. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a gift of the Magi situation, right? I don't know. You want an omelet, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think just hold on to those eggs. Well, what else does the snowman need? He wants a fire. Okay. So. How will you build that fire? Well, we need to build a fireplace. So I set the eggs in his care. Mm-hmm. Because a blind man carrying eggs doesn't yeah. seem like a good idea. So I follow the scent back to the tree. And I look for some sort of leaves or stones. Um some sort of loose material from these the tree i wouldn't want to like disturb the tree mm-hmm. um fallen branches things of that nature yeah. yeah um and i start collecting the few that are around but they are they're cold. Yeah. So I, I grab as many of those as I can handle. And I bring them back to the snowman. And I th- think I smell running water mm. somewhere yonder. So I, I follow that, thinking that there will be stones of some sort there. Mm hmm. In order to kind of build a, a circle. Yeah. So I'm finding stones, but it's too much to carry. So I take off my cloak and I kind of fashion a rucksack out of it mm-hmm. and carry some stones. But all of a sudden, it's too heavy. Can't quite lift it. What if you just carry what you can? I give it one last hug, just to be sure. Mm -hmm. Can't lift it. So I start taking a stone out at a time and lifting it until... I can lift it and then carry it up and I work my way back and I I fashion a sort of pit in front of this fireman or the snowman, not the fireman. That'd be scary. That'd be scarier than any of this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... I fashion the pit um, and I put the branches in there. But even if I get it going, it won't last long. Hmm. Well, let's get it going and see what happens. I get it going, or um, 
kind of do the the ritual of trying to start a fire when you only vaguely understand how fire works. I'm beating stone rocks together. Um, and the the snowman's just kind of enjoying your efforts. He's poking fun at me. Yeah. You know, he can't help because he's a snowman. Yeah. But it's funny to watch your friends try things. Yeah. And all of a sudden we have a a visitor. It is this um kind of yeti-like creature. Mm. And he also is shimmering and his rib cage is like open mm-hmm. and he walks up and without saying anything the fire starts and it is bright and it has blue tinges at the tips where you might sometimes see green. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of stare at each other for a minute. Don't feel malice or benevolence. Mm, chaotic neutral. Yeah, just kind of uh, this is a force. Yeah. And the fire is burning, and the snowman is smiling and still kind of prodding and making fun at all of my attempts to warm it. Yeah. And it's like the time uh, we were at my cabin with our dads, and they went out to the bar, and... What a strange memory. Um, Let it come up. It, uh, <laughs> when our dads got back, they made fun of us for not drinking any of their beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were just enjoying each other's company, enjoying the fire, um, yeah. enjoying the stars. Yeah. And, As the fire warms, the snowman starts to melt. But underneath it is this ice sculpture of him. And no matter how hot the fire gets, it doesn't melt. It shines and it glistens like everything here does. Beautiful. Come on back. <laughs> How do you feel? Good. Yeah. Um, refreshed, like a internal shower. Yeah. I would like to tell you this tale back to you with some commentary. But before I do, I want to be very clear that this tale contains infinite meanings. So 
I don't want the meanings that I'm giving you today to be the end of the line. I want them to change and metamorphosize and we'll talk about this afterwards, but I want you to also tell this tale in your own way as well. But since we're doing a wizard session and I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> the wizard that's here. Uh, <laughs> does that sound good for you? Absolutely. Okay. So you find yourself in a tundra, which is an interesting landscape in that it is both barren and yet still alive. You know, it's not totally devoid of life at all. There's actually all kinds of things that grow that are hardy and resilient. There's snow rabbits and owls and all of these cool animals that have had to adapt <laughs> to that, you know, white version of themselves. And I think that can kind of be a representation of where you're at creatively right now. It's not a fertile tropical jungle where the fruits are just falling <laughs> off the trees. Yeah. It's a, a harder place, but you saw so much beauty from the beginning, the sparkling, the shimmering, the possibility. It wasn't a wasteland by any means. It's just a different kind of landscape. The monument to the friend you immediately realized needed to be shaped like a person, you know, that you wanted to personify that memory. And that's what we do when we worship those who have gone from this world. We, we want to create a person-shaped container for all of that energy that we've lost to fit into. And I think that that snowman is a beautiful representation, uh, realizing that it needs eyes you know, it's it's not like you just want to look at that monument, but you want your friend to be able to see you and to see what you're doing and stay connected. And that is the gift that you're giving to them. Like you said so well, um, you know, you're not taking the organs out of the mummy. You're giving new things to it so it can function in the afterworld. And going over to this tree, your first attempt is very effortful. I'm going to knock on it. It's the you know <laughs> barbarian in the party who's like, I'm going to punch it. <laughs> And it doesn't work. The tree is sturdy. That's that's not the right approach. And you have to take a softer approach. You have to recognize that the thing that you are seeking doesn't belong to you. You don't have a right to these eggs. It's something that is wilder and wiser and more powerful that you have to commune with in order to do that. And in order to be able to receive this offering, there must be a sacrifice. And I think it's this old pattern, this old vision, this whole way of thinking of yourself, of your relationships, of alcohol, of mental health, of creativity that needs to let go. And of course, you were a little bit intimidated by that, <laughs> but eventually we're able to realize that it's, uh, it's been a process for quite some time, that this isn't the owl hooking its talons and pulling them out. It's helping you actually lift up something that's kind of ready to go, you know, like the, the, the zits ready to pop. <laughs> and then receiving these eggs, I think, are such a wonderful symbol of new creativity. And they are heavy and they are light. I mean, what is an album about losing a friend if not heavy and light? Right? And... Then when you go back over to the snowman, we thought, oh, we're going to give this, but your friend already has all of the eyes they need. They can see you just fine. And so that sacrifice was for you. And these eggs, I think, are for you as well. These are for you to grow and hatch and nourish and 
see what's there with fresh perspective rather than the the old way of looking at things. The decision to build a fire is beautiful and going off to find these stones. When you go to the tree, you're respectful of the tree. You're engaging again with this strange tree that doesn't really fit into the landscape so it's quite magical and you're not oh, I chop it down you're <laughs> respecting it but while you respected the tree and didn't try to take what it couldn't give when you go to find the stones yourself by the water you don't treat yourself the same way you think I should be able to lift all the stones I should carry them all in one go I'm gonna fill my cloak so it's so heavy and then I'm gonna and I think there's a very beautiful lesson there about recognizing your own capacity and doing what you can and knowing that's enough, that's plenty. <laughs> you don't need to do more, any more than that. <laughs> Bringing it back over, trying to figure out how to light the fire. And there's, again, this kind of frustration of, ah, I've seen this in movies, but I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> and how many of us in our creative practices have felt like we were banging rocks together <laughs> trying to get a fire to light? And we're like, I have no idea. <laughs> but again, what comes but a representation of the wild, the landscape, the mystery, the mysterious, a, a cryptid, basically. You know, <laughs> something that is totally unknown and unknowable. And it shows up open-hearted. Literally, it's ribcage is spread. And that open-heartedness accomplishes what all of the effort and force and trying and supposed to and half-remembered techniques can't. And the fire ignites. And that image that you've created, the snowman melts away and reminds you that there is a version of your friend that you will never lose, that is never gone, that is always there, supporting you, watching you, helping you, guiding you. And so I think in all of this, you know, one of the ideas I started with is, oh, we're going to go and look for a muse or something like that to kind of help <laughs> with your creativity. And I think we found the muse all over. And it was the process of mourning your friend that connected you with the owl, the running water, the tree, the, the yeti, all of these forces that are out there but come to you and give you not what you're asking for but what you need. <laughs> And help you recognize that what you're doing is 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 enough. Yeah, that was um, it was it was um instructive there. Uh, in my morning practice, I I drew the the nine of wands, mm. which, as I learned, was you know kind of this person who is maybe not quite hoarding, but is being protective of what they have. And it was, I mean, that's, you know, kind of intriguing how that exchange happened because you're still holding on to something that doesn't help. Yeah. But you're holding on to it. You're trying to lift more than you need. When you, you know. say morning practice, do you mean this morning or yes? But morning? also, yeah. Yeah, yeah, widely yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the yeah. Um, but it was my practice this morning, um, just my like morning meditation and tarot. Yeah. So it's it was interesting to see that that connection. Sure, um, yeah. and also this kind of ongoing work. I've been trying to like kind of construct this mind palace. 
type mm. work. And I think that was good groundwork for that. Yeah. Because I've been trying to get to a place like that. And now I feel like I have a few of those elements. Obviously, yeah. the, the tundra is wide and wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting to see how some of these these things appeared. Yeah. Um, things I've kind of been like aware of. Yeah. And of course, when you kind of slip into that state, the things you've been conjuring appear. Yeah. But it was interesting to see how the story unfolded. Um, the the fact that there was like a narrative there. And I, I think a lot of your reading is uh, spot on. I'll, I'll, I will obviously dig in and do my homework, but all of it felt intuitively apropos. Yeah. So I invite you to close your eyes once again. And I want to tell you a story about stories. Because we can think about all of these as stories that tell about other stories and give birth to new stories and divide into different stories. And your friend had a human life that has transformed into a set of stories. Stories about growing up together. Stories about coming back home. Stories about the way that you now, looking back, know that he knew something that you didn't know at the time. And all of those stories are powerful and will change and evolve and blossom and hatch into different stories. And so right now, you're in this moment with your eyes closed, having a wizard session, talking to a wizard about stories, listening to a story he's telling you that you just told him. But there's also a story here in the future. And I don't know if this story that you just experienced on the tundra becomes a song or a poem or a whole album. But I'd like for you to see yourself on whatever stage feels appropriate telling the story about how you lost a friend, maybe how you got a diagnosis and quit drinking, and then you met a wizard. And talking to that wizard, he helped you tell the story that this song, this poem, this album, this magnum opus tells. And that story will go into everyone who hears it and stir something and help them tell new stories. And all of that will move forward in such a wonderful way. And so as you contemplate that, I'm going to circle back around and touch on one last element of your story that I didn't speak about the first time. And that was the ignition of the fire which kindled within you a memory. A memory of when you were younger and you went to a cabin and your dads went off to a bar, but you didn't even bother to try and drink their beer because you had a life that was perfectly fine without alcohol. And so now that you've entered a period of sobriety, it's not an absence of alcohol, it's a return to that original time when good friends, a fire, the stars, was more than enough. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? It's interesting how um, it's become a return. Yeah, it's, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you think this process of individuation is this process forward but it is also this coming back it is not a line 
Um, and you, you understand that, I think, theoretically, right? Because you're like, eh, I listen to Tool, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I've read Nietzsche, cool. Yeah. But to experience it is um, humbling and rewarding. There's an Ursula K. Le Guin quote of true voyages return. Yeah. Yeah. The Odyssey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just also that, you know, you don't really know where you've been until you come back and you can mm-hmm. kind of see the, the old with fresh eyes and you can also put the new into perspective. Yeah. So I'd like to end this by just reminding one more time that there is the image and there are the interpretations. And I have given you one interpretation, but if the challenge today was how to reconnect with your creativity, it is the image that is the key. Mm. And so I invite you to create this work, whether it is a story, a poem, a song, an album, whatever form it wants to take, but also to just retain that image that it doesn't need to just transform into one concrete meaning. And that any time that you're feeling adrift in your creativity or trying to find that flow, you can return to that image, the tundra, the tree, the owl, the water, mm-hmm. all of the different pieces, things that we didn't explore yet, images beyond those images. And I think that will give you uh, plenty to work with for a very, very long time to come. Yes, it's, a, it's, it's there. Thank you for your time today, Taylor. Thank you. I believe in you. Your magic is real. <laughs> oh, thank you. You too. <laughs> 